Good evening, everybody. So I guess this is representative of the non-baseball fans of The Rock. <laughs> or you're like me, and you've got your DVR running at home. So don't anybody spoil it for me. I don't want to, if you're tracking on your iPhone or something, I don't know want to know what the score is. I'm going to go home and watch it after this. Well, I am delighted to be here tonight. And uh, thank you, Jim and Mike, uh, for giving me an opportunity to speak to you. I, I preached just a couple of weeks ago in uh, Haiti, and I have had the opportunity to preach over the years in Uganda and India and Rwanda, but I've never actually been up here to preach here at The Rock. So I'm a little nervous about this, but I'm excited at the same time. So let me just open in a, in a word of prayer first. Father God, Thank you. Thank you for this church and for all my brothers and sisters here. Father, use me. Speak through me. Help me to speak with clarity. And may you receive honor and glory in everything I say tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 1-8. Obviously, that Acts 1-8 is a very missional scripture. And it's one that we use frequently in missions to identify the geographical location of where the mission field is. And if you read it, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So if you apply the scripture to like where we live, Jerusalem would be here in Castle Rock. And you all know that we're doing a lot of outreach right here in our community with our Wednesday night meals, with our new winter shelter network. So this is our Jerusalem. Judea would be Denver and the whole front range. Samaria would be the entire USA. And then the rest of the earth or the globe would be to the, to the ends of the earth. So we use that verse frequently to kind of describe the geographical location of where the mission field is. But I want to draw your attention to something else in that scripture tonight that I want to focus on tonight. So let's revisit the part where it says, you will be my witnesses that's the part I want to camp out on tonight. You will be my witnesses. So what does that mean? You will be my witnesses. There's a, if we look at the dictionary definition of what it means to be a witness, it means uh, it could be an action, it could be a verb. Or it could be a person, so it could be a noun. It means to see or hear or know by personal presence or perception, like uh, to witness an accident, uh, to be present uh, at an occurrence as a formal witness, a spectator or a bystander, uh, such as she witnessed our wedding. An individual who being present personally sees or perceives a thing, a beholder, a spectator, or an eyewitness. So it could be a person that would provide evidence in a court of law, 
or a person who would give testimony. So if we focus on what it means to be a witness, and if we understand kind of the definition of a witness, that got my attention in the scripture right here because I've used this scripture a lot in missions. Sometimes I'm really kind of thick-headed and God really has to kind of hammer something at me for me to understand and for to get it and to pay attention. Is anybody else like that? Are you kind of, I'm not the only one? Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Because here's a good indication that God wanted to get our attention. Because in Acts, Luke repeats this same thing about being a witness six more times. In Acts 2.32, God raised Jesus to life and we are all witnesses. In 3.15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. 5.32, we are witnesses of these things. 10.39, we are witnesses of everything he did. And in 13.31, for many days he was seen by those who traveled with him. They are now his witnesses to our people. And lastly, in Luke 22:15, where Luke tells how Paul was sent to be a witness to the Gentiles. Is it pretty clear that Jesus expected his disciples to be witnesses? Do you believe that we are also called to be witnesses? We're followers of Jesus Christ. As disciples of Christ, are we called to also be witnesses? Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I'm a witness for Jesus Christ. The disciples were eyewitnesses to all the things that Jesus did. In other words, they were firsthand observers. They were right there. They saw it with their, their own eyes. And, and they even struggle at times with understanding and with their belief. And in fact, even when Jesus reappeared after the crucifixion and his resurrection, he appeared to the uh, disciples. And remember Thomas, Doubting Thomas? We always refer to him as Doubting Thomas. And he said he wouldn't believe that Jesus was alive until he could touch, the, touch his hands and his side where the spear penetrated him. And what did Jesus say to Thomas? He says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So that's us. We all fall into that category because we didn't see what happens. But yet, as Christ followers, as believers, we are blessed. We are blessed to be a witness of what we know about Jesus. And I think that's a special designation that we have as Christ followers. We haven't seen, we didn't see, but yet we believe. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. 
always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I wish he hadn't added that last sentence in that scripture. I had much rather just whack somebody over the head with my Bible or yell in their face, turn or burn, sanctify or french fry. But that doesn't work. That doesn't work. I promise you, I've tried and it doesn't work. Some of my family members would probably tell you, yeah, he's tried that. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. How many of you have a friend or a neighbor or a family member even that doesn't know the Lord, has not put their trust in Jesus Christ? Everybody, everybody in the room knows somebody at work, uh, somewhere that doesn't know the Lord and doesn't know Jesus Christ. Well, those are the very people that God has put in your life for you to be a witness to. I believe that with all my heart. That those are the people that we are, to, uh, we are called to be a witness to. So why do we hesitate to do so? Is it fear, not knowing what to say, being politically incorrect, uh, embarrassed that we might say the wrong thing, embarrassed that we might get rejected? Are we just timid, shy? Well, this happens to every one of us. When we, we, we see that opportunity, we see that person, and we even sense by the Holy Spirit, boy, that person really needs Jesus. And I should really talk to him about Jesus. But you know why we have all of those emotions that run through us and fight against us? It's exactly the evil one doesn't want you talking about Jesus. He doesn't want another person to go from darkness to light and be part of his eternal family. So you're always, when you're in that situation, if you're feeling that, that pushback, realize where that pushback is coming from. And you can overcome that because he who is in you is more powerful than he who is in the world. So let me ask you another little, just set up a hypothetical situation and while I do that I'm going to ask my able assistant here to pass out something that we're going to use tonight. Everybody's going to get one dinner napkin. I think we can get those passed out pretty quickly, get a couple of volunteers. Thank you Jim. This is my lovely wife Andre. <laughs> So while you're waiting on your napkin, let me kind of set up this, uh, this possible scenario that you might find yourself in this, uh, in this situation. Say you're sitting in a restaurant or maybe a coffee shop or even a bar with a good friend. Now, this is a friend. This is somebody that you have a relationship with. And you're just 
talking and your friend says to you, you know, you talk about church all the time and you seem to be really involved in your church and I didn't grow up in the church and, you know, from what I know about Christianity, it seems like a bunch of do's and don'ts. How would you respond to that? There's an opportunity right there. There's a teachable moment. There's an opportunity for you to be a witness. Could you explain the gospel? Would you feel comfortable explaining the gospel? The, just the basic good news about Jesus and the work that he accomplished on the cross for us. Well, if you found yourself in that situation, I would suggest and encourage you to start with something very personal, your personal testimony. If you just jump right into Scripture, jump right into Jesus, you might shut that conversation down. Remember, this is a friend. You have a relationship with them. The most powerful thing that you can share is your personal testimony. People can argue with you about what the Bible says, about the validity, the truthfulness, the accuracy of the Bible. They can even argue with you about who Jesus is. But they can't argue with you about your personal testimony because it's yours. A testimony is real simple. It's a kind of a before and after story. Before I put my trust in Jesus, it was this. After I put my trust in Jesus, it was this. I'll give you a couple of quick examples. And it's good to have two or three little short testimonies kind of uh, committed to paper and you can kind of pull them out or use them when the time is appropriate. Before I put my trust in Jesus, I was a worrier. I worried about everything. I worried about my health, my finances, my family, my job, my career. I worried about everything. But then I put my trust in Jesus and I can't explain it. But just now, I don't worry as much. Yeah, I have concerns and things that I'm concerned about, but I have a peace that I've never experienced before after putting my trust in Jesus. A before and an after, just a real simple. And when you're sharing your testimony, don't use a bunch of Christianese words like salvation or sanctification or justification, you know, Leave that language for here when we're amongst ourselves. We'll let Mike preach on that stuff. <laughs> so just use simple, relational, everyday, friendly talk. Another example is um, uh, before I trusted Jesus, man, I was really into just having more stuff. I guess you could say I was just a materialistically minded I wanted this, I wanted the best car, I wanted the best bicycle, I wanted the best boat, I wanted, you know, toys, I wanted to live in a nice house, I wanted all this material stuff, and I'd get stuff, I had a good job, and I was getting all this stuff, and more and more and more and more, but I was never satisfied. There was no contentment. And then I put my trust in Jesus. And I can't explain it, I still like stuff, but I, it, it doesn't have that that status in my life, that importance in my life anymore. I enjoy the, the blessings that I've received. 
but I'm just more content. I found myself, myself to be more content after putting my trust in Jesus. So there's another little simple testimony that people can relate to very easily. It's very clear, and it's probably something that other people have experienced in their life because we know that nobody can feel that emptiness, that hole in your heart besides Jesus. So all the big fancy cars and the nice houses and everything. So that's a pretty good general testimony, and it's a true testimony for me. <clears throat> so if you start there, and you've kind of gained their trust, and the conversation is going well, and there you can tell by the body language that this person is giving you that whether or not you should continue. And I think it's always a good opportunity to ask for permission. Can I share just one verse with you? Just one verse and a simple little illustration. Yeah, okay. Grab your napkin. And here's what you're going to do. This is something that I learned. I was taught this at my church in Texas. And I actually did this on a napkin. And I kept this napkin in my Bible for several years. It's called One Verse Evangelism. Has anybody ever heard One Verse Evangelism before? Wow, I love it. I get to teach you something brand new. One Verse Evangelism, you could, you could say, it's kind of a stretch, but it comes pretty close, that Romans 6.23 explains the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Now that's a stretch, but stay with me here, and I bet you'll come to understand that. So at the top of your napkin, write Romans 6.23, and then you're going to write out, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through T H R O T H R. our Lord Christ Jesus. Okay? You can write that across the top of your napkin. And then, on the bottom part of your napkin, do something like this. Okay, and then over here, draw a little stick man. And over here, 
right God. So there's the basics of your illustration for one verse evangelism. Romans 6.23, for the wages, it's wages, of sin is death. Now you're going to break that verse down for your, your friend. So what I would have you do is circle wages and ask your friend, what do you think that means in this scripture? What are wages? Wages are something you get for something that you did. If you have a job and you're doing your job, you're paid a salary, you earn wages. If I buy my wife a dozen roses, I get a kiss. Those are my wages. It's something that I do and something that I get in return. In the case of this scripture right here, it says for the wages of sin. Okay, so we know that this is going to be something that you're going to receive as a result of sin. Now let's circle the word sin. This is where it gets a little tricky. This is where it get, people tend to get really uncomfortable when you start talking about the subject of sin. So if you were going to define sin, how would you define sin to your friend? Anything that's displeasing to God? Anything that's out of the will of God? Here's the challenge. Most people tend to think about sin the same way that we think about the law. So if I go and steal a piece of bubble gum at the 7-Eleven, it's not a very serious law. They're not going to throw me away, put me in jail and throw the key away. But if I fly a airplane into the World Trade Center, that's a very serious sin. You've killed 3,000 people. And most people tend to look at sin the same way. There's just, well, it was just a little sin. I just kind of embellished the story a little bit. So it was just a little lie, a little white lie. But in God's economy, there is no such thing as a big sin or a small sin. No sin is acceptable to God. So God's standard is absolutely perfection. And no sin is going to be allowed in heaven. And no sin is acceptable to God because he is pure and holy and is totally without sin. So the wages of sin, draw your arrow down to here and write death. And then circle the word death. And explain to your friend that the death that is being talked about here is eternal death. It's not just death, but always eternal death. If you want to use the word hell, this is the definition of what hell is. It's eternal death. And I believe that eternal death is eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from God means that you are separated from everything that is good. Touch, 
smell, sight, hearing, being able to feel emotion. All of those are removed from you. I don't think any of us would want to see anyone, friend or foe, suffer the consequences of eternal death. It's a pretty strong message. It's a pretty strong thing. It's not meant to fear somebody, but I really believe that people need to understand why they need a Savior. And if you don't understand what sin is and the consequences of sin, you don't really have a clear understanding of why you need a Savior. Okay? So that's all the bad news. But the good part of this scripture, scripture is there's a but. <laughs> but the gift, circle gift, And I think it's really important that people understand that eternal life is a free gift. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. There's no amount of good that we can do in order to get this because it is a gift. It's like if, uh, say I was, I was, uh, given the keys to a Range Rover. Somebody just says, man, Alan, I love you so much. I think you're just such a great guy and everything. I just want, I just want to give you this Range Rover. And here's the keys. And I'm overwhelmed, of course, by the magnitude of this gift. And I reach in my wallet and I go, well, here, I've got a, like 50 bucks here. Can I just at least give you that for it? Well, you've just insulted the gift giver and it's not even close to paying for this gift, this magnificent gift. And that's what we have from Jesus Christ, is the gift of eternal life. So when you understand that a gift is something that you freely receive, but if the same man was handing the keys to me and I refused to receive the gift, then I don't get the gift. I don't get the Range Rover. So if a person refuses to receive the gift of eternal life, then they don't get to be in heaven with their loved ones and with Jesus and with God. So people need to understand that it's a gift. I'll talk a little bit more about the significance of it being a gift. So the gift of God is eternal life. And you can say that would be heaven. Eternal life, you can write that over here. And the reason that man is way over here and God is way over here is because of sin. So you might want to write sin over here on this side and make sure that they understand that because that causes that separation between man and God. But then, you can do something like this. And there's the cross. And across the cross, right, Jesus. 
so it's through our Lord Christ Jesus and the work that he accomplished on the cross, the fact that he went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. Then ask your friend, does this make sense to you? And wait for an answer. And there might be some clarification that you would need to do to help them understand this. They might have some questions about this. But what do you think the next step is? The most important step. And I can guarantee you, this is, if there's anything that's going to distract or interrupt, it's going to happen right now. You're going to ask that person if they'd like to put their trust in Jesus Christ. If they have ever prayed to put their trust in Jesus Christ and wait for an answer. You just want to jump in and keep talking, but it's best to wait for an answer and kind of see where they are. See where the Holy Spirit is moving. It's okay to throw up what I call a popcorn prayer, just a quick prayer. Just throw it up, Lord, help this person, protect this person. Holy Spirit, come and indwell in this person. Lord, if there's anything else that I need to say, give me the words. But this is one verse evangelism. And this allows man to cross over that gap and be in relationship with God and have eternal life. Simple little napkin using one verse, Romans 6.23, and you can clearly, clearly explain the gospel to your friend. Now, if you start looking for opportunities, if you start praying for opportunities to do this, I can guarantee you, you're going to experience some spiritual warfare. And I can, <laughs> I can share a few stories, personal stories with you that I've experienced. Uh, I was learning at my church in Texas about how to present the gospel. And one of the things that we did was uh, we would go out into the community and literally we had this little survey from our church. And we would ask people if they would ask, answer a few questions. And then we would lead right into trying to bridge over into a conversation to present the gospel. And this young man uh, answered his apartment door. And, and uh, many times the Holy Spirit has already been doing the work in a person's heart. And I've heard that statistically most people, the average person, needs to hear the gospel seven times before it it takes before they make a decision so sometimes you get to be the first person and you just plant a seed and you hope and pray for that next person to come along and share that gospel again but on this particular uh, night I think we were number seven because this young man he says yeah come on in and invited us right into his apartment my team I was with uh, three other people and we came in and sat on his couch, and uh, we uh, started talking to him. He had a home entertainment center and a big screen TV, and he turned his television off so we could have our conversation. And we were going through the, uh, just getting to know him and asking, 
you know, it's, you build a little bit of a relationship rapport in the start. And uh, we got around to uh, sharing Christ with him. And it was going really well. He was receptive. He was sitting on the edge of his chair. The body language was good. This guy was ready to receive truth. And he was just hungry for truth. And got right to the part where I was about to ask him if he wanted to pray to receive Jesus as his Savior. And his big screen TV popped on. <laughs> Nobody touched it. And this loud, weird, demonic, dark noise came screaming at, at full volume out of the TV and he reached over to the coffee table, grabbed his remote control and he's clicking it at the TV over and over again and it won't turn off and he gets up and he goes over and he pushes the power button on the TV and it won't turn off and this thing is just, oh, it's just awful and he goes around behind it and he unplugs it and it finally, it turns off. Now what do you think that was? <laughs> I have no explanation other than it was an attempt to stop him from becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, to put his trust in Jesus Christ. Another night, we were, uh, my team was out on a parking lot at the apartment complex, and there was a young lady carrying her laundry back from the uh, laundry mat, laundromat, and, uh, and we engaged her in conversation. And once again, it was, she was very receptive. And we, I, we had two ladies on our team, and they were kind of, uh, they were taking the lead, you know, talking to her because she was a, a lady. And she was receptive also and received them, and they share, were sharing the gospel with her. And um, just uh, almost halfway through explaining the gospel to her, this uh, low-rider car comes through the parking lot, and it's got the loudest sound system that I've ever heard, just boom, boom, very distracting. And then they go on, he, he finally leaves and the sound dies down and, and they go on a little bit farther and they're just about to ask her for a decision and I guarantee it was one of the biggest, loudest dogs I've ever heard, like a Rottweiler or something, just roar, 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 like that. He finally calmed down and we, uh, and she prayed to receive Christ. And something that we always did when we were doing this type of evangelism was we always left them a little uh, book of the Gospel of John. And then we asked them for permission if we could call them and come back to see them the next week to follow up with our conversation. So there was some follow-up and some discipleship that was we always attempted to accomplish. So we were planning to go back the next week and we get a phone call. And... Uh, because I'd given her uh, a phone number where she could reach us if she had any questions about the Gospel of John. And it was this guy. And he says, I don't know who you guys are, but I don't want you talking to my girlfriend ever again. Don't you ever come near her. Click. So we're thinking, hmm, what do we do? Should we just not go? Is this, uh, is this guy real? Is, I mean, are we putting our lives in danger? And so we came together as a team, and we had a, a, a larger group from our, our church, and we told them about it, and we decided we're going to pray this guy into submission. And we went ahead and made the phone call and finally got her and told her that we were coming. And we went to, the, to her apartment. She said, well, come up to my apartment. And I didn't even ask her if her boyfriend was going to be there. I just assumed he would be. 
and she opened the door and let us in, and her boyfriend was sitting on a couch, and it literally looked like he was glued to the couch. He couldn't open his mouth, he couldn't move, he couldn't talk, he just sat there, and we greeted her, and we talked to her about the gospel, about John, and had she read it, did she have any questions? Of course, we uh, extended uh, an invitation for her to come to our church, and then we prayed with her. And, uh, and the whole time, boyfriend's sitting there, and he's just like, he looks like he's paralyzed. <laughs> it's really pretty funny. And uh, so as we're, as we're leaving, I couldn't help it. I turned to him, I said, I said, well, thanks, it's good to see you. Thanks for letting us in <laughs> and left. But fear, the evil one wanting to stop us, don't allow that to happen. And in fact, when it does happen, realize, man, you're close. You, something good is really about to happen. Somebody is about, another soul's about to be one for the Lord. And you realize that that pushback is exactly where you should be and what you should be doing and just push right through it. Just pray it away, pray it into submission and get thee behind me and continue on in confidence in who you are and who you are talking about. We're talking about our Savior, Jesus Christ. I got one more story to share with you. This was in uh, Uganda. And a uh, pastor friend had uh, asked me to share the gospel that evening. At nighttime, outside of his, he had a uh, church and a, uh, a home for uh, orphan children. And there was a, a wall all the way around his compound. And at night, there was a big soccer field out next to his church, and they would go out and they would project with an LCD projector uh, Christian videos up on the side of the wall, and they had a couple of big speakers and an old mixing board and some microphones, and they drug a 200 feet of extension cord out and plugged in an old Honda generator, and everything came on, because in Uganda at nighttime, it gets really dark. And that morning at church, there was a couple of hundred people there at church, and I'm thinking that there's going to probably be about the same amount of people on the soccer field that night. And he had asked me, he said, would you share tonight when we do our video outreach, would you share uh, the, your testimony and share the gospel? And I said, yeah, I would be happy to. Well, 1,500 people showed up on that soccer field. There were entire families in Jinja, Uganda, walking long distances to get there to see the entertainment, the Christian videos, because he had loudspeakers and it was, it was uh, Christian dance music and uh, it, was, it was entertaining for them. And so I'm standing there and we have, a, I was there with a team uh, from, uh, from Arkansas, from a church in Arkansas. We're all kind of standing there in a group <clears throat> and I'm at the back of the group, and more and more people are coming out on this soccer field, and all of a sudden, I feel kind of a, a kick on the back of my leg, just a little tap and everything. I kind of look around and figure it was just an accident, and then I feel somebody kind of push me like that. I look around, and uh, there's a group of Muslim teenagers that are behind me. I don't know, about a dozen of them. And... They're talking loud and kind of talking over the video, and uh, one of them pushes me again, and I turn around, and it's a young girl who can speak 
English, and she says, are you a Christian? And I looked at her, and I smiled, and I said, yes, I am. And about that time, uh, the pastor's wife grabbed me and said, Alan, come over here. And she had, I didn't realize it because I was engaged with these young teenagers, but our ho she had moved our entire team away from this, this group of people. And so I'm thinking to myself, something good is about to happen. So a few minutes later, David, uh, Pastor David called me up to, to share the gospel. I shared my testimony, and then I sh was sharing the gospel. And I'd ask him before I started, I said, you know, when, it, when I get through with the gospel, do you want me to turn the mic over to you and you do an altar call? And he says, yeah, that's a, that's a good plan. So I'm going along there sharing the gospel. And he leans over to me and he says, you've connected very well with them. Keep going. So I did my first altar call, and about 50 people came forward to receive Christ that night. And in fact, David teases me. He's a friend on Facebook, and he says, when are you coming back to Uganda for another Billy Graham moment? <laughs> <clears throat> I was so absolutely, totally blown away by that experience. I couldn't sleep for the next two nights. Sharing the gospel. Seeing people move from darkness to light, from death to life, is one of the greatest blessings that you will ever experience. What a privilege it is to see the lights come on in people's eyes. And then be there to pray with them and welcome them into God's family. To see a person reborn right with your own eyes what a blessing what a blessing it is and to me I think that's that's what we're called to do so how important is this being a witness being able just to have the confidence and have the words and maybe the method you know God uses signs and wonders and this church I've learned so much about signs and wonders. It's not an either or, it's a both. Signs and wonders opens the door to conversation to present the gospel. And I think we need to be prayer warriors, praying for people, even in their unbelief. And when the Holy Spirit shows up and does something miraculous, or he doesn't show up, he just opens their heart to receive the truth of the gospel, God gets the glory, and we're expanding the kingdom, our kingdom family. So this is eternally important stuff. And I have a personal story to share with you about my own family. My mom and dad were in their mid-70s, and my dad was a deacon in our church in Texas. And my mom was the church secretary and also a Sunday school teacher. And it was the little church uh, in Hillsboro, Texas. It's got a historical marker next to the front door, little bitty church. And I was sitting at their breakfast table one morning. And I had just been going through this training that I had to learn how to present the gospel. And just, I thought, well, maybe I ought to ask them 
a couple of questions. And 99% of the people, if you ask, do you think you're going to go to heaven when you die? They'll say, yeah, I think so. But if you ask them, you say, well, you know, if you're standing in front of God and God says, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Those are two diagnostic questions that I, I was taught. And in both cases, my parents gave me works answers. They didn't refer to Jesus died for my sins. They said, well, we've always been good people. We've always tried to do the right thing. We're, you know, we're involved in our church, and we think that, that, that God would let us into heaven. And they were talking about themselves. Their gospel was based on me, 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 what I've done, what I can have done, the type of person I've been. And I said, well, Mom, Dad, that's not what the Bible says. And I was, had the privilege of sharing the gospel with my mom and dad in their mid-70s after a life in the church. Forty-plus years they'd been in the church. And I let them, and they both prayed to receive Christ there at that kitchen table that morning. And a few years later, my mom had been in an assisted living place as a result of three strokes, and she was at the end of her life and had suffered uh, reoccurring bouts of pneumonia. And I was by her bed when the doctors had called me and told me that her white blood cell count had gone astronomically high and the antibiotics were not working any longer and there was nothing more they could do for her. And my brother was in the room there and I'm standing beside the bed and I told my mom, I said, the doctors tell me that there's nothing more they can do for you. The antibiotics are not working. And I said, there's nothing more that I can do for you. And I said, but Jesus is standing there with his arms wide open, and he's waiting for you. And my mom had an oxygen mask on, and she couldn't speak, but she lifted up, she, she was doing like this, doing like this, take this oxygen mask off. She was ready to go be with Jesus. And about an hour later, I was there as she passed. And I know that she is in a much better place with our Lord and Savior, and is part of the family of God. So how important is this stuff? eternally important as we think about our family our closest loved ones and our closest friends that don't know Jesus can we not help but just want to just tell them about our Lord tell them the great news the good news about Jesus and I'm going to pray that every one of you because you all raised your hands that you knew somebody that doesn't know Jesus I'm going to pray tonight, closing a word of prayer, that every one of you will have an opportunity to share Christ with someone. He's going to put someone in your path. If you join me in that prayer, I can guarantee you that is going to happen. So let me close with this. In Luke 8, 22 through 24, it's the story of where Jesus calms the storm. He's in the boat with his disciples and he falls asleep up in the bow of the boat. We all know this story. And the disciples start freaking out and wake him up. Jesus, you've got to calm the storm. And he does. He speaks to the storm and he calms it. Now think about it. 
we are all in the boat with Jesus. Jesus is in our boat. What do we have to fear? What do we have to fear? Is there anything that can stand against our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Nothing. We're in the boat with Jesus. Jesus is in our boat. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for your purpose and your plan for our salvation. It is a perfect plan. And Father, thank you that you invite us to be part of your plan. Father, thank you that you so clearly call us to be witnesses. Thank you, Father, that there are people in our, our sphere, in our families, in our workplace, that we have the opportunity to speak to about Jesus. So, Father, I pray for boldness for my brothers and sisters. I pray for divine appointments and conversations and the opportunity to share the good news about Jesus Christ. And that as a result of their boldness, many more will be welcomed into the family of God. And someday, Father, all of those folks will be dancing on streets of gold and talking about the time that they first heard truth about your son, Jesus. And I pray that in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.